You're listening to the RPC Sermons Podcast. You can join us for virtual worship every Sunday at roswellpress.org. Thanks for listening. morning, we are continuing our sermon series called The Incredibles of Faith, where we're looking at various faith heroes all through scripture. This morning, we are going to look at Rahab. Rahab is in the book of Joshua in the Old Testament. We're going to be looking in the second chapter. But before we do that, let's go to God in prayer. Let's pray. Holy God, we do praise you for this time to be together. We pray now, Lord, that you would bless this time in your word. God, the words that we read would be your words. The words that are spoken are your words. And the words that are heard, Lord, are your words. And may this encounter with you be so powerful that we cannot walk away unchanged. In your holy name we pray. Amen. Joshua chapter 2. Then Joshua, son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and spent the night there. The king of Jericho was told, some Israelites have come here tonight to search out the land. Then the king of Jericho sent orders to Rahab, bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come only to search out the land. But the woman took the two men and hid them. And she said, well, true, two men, the men did come to me, but I didn't know where they came from. And when it was time to close the gate at dark, the men went out. Where the men went, I do not know. Pursue them quickly, for you can overtake them. She had, however, brought them up to the roof and hidden them with stalks of flax that she had laid out on the roof. So the men pursued them on the way to the Jordan as far as the fords, and as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate shut. Before they went to sleep, she went up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know the Lord has given you the land, and that dread of you has fallen on us, and that all the inhabitants of the land melt in fear before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before when you came out of Egypt. And we heard what you did to the two kings of the Amorites that were beyond the Jordans, to Sion and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted and there was no courage left in any of us because of you. The Lord your God is indeed God in heaven above and on earth below. Now then, since I have dealt kindly with you, swear to me by the Lord that you in turn will deal kindly with my family. Give me a sign of good faith that you will spare my father, my mother, my brothers and sisters and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. The men said to her, our life for yours. If you do not tell this business of ours, then we will deal kindly and faithfully with you when the Lord gives us the land. Then she let them down by a rope through the window for her house was on the outer side of the city wall and she resided right within the wall itself. She said to them, go toward the hill country so that the pursuers may not come upon you. Hide yourself there three days until the pursuers have returned. Then afterwards you may go your way. The men said to her, we will will be released from this oath that you have made us swear to if we invade the land and you do not tie this crimson cord in the window through which you let us down. 
And if you do not gather your ho- into your house, your father, mother, brothers, and all your family, if any of you go out of the doors of your house into the street, they shall be responsible for their own death, and we shall be innocent. But if a hand is laid upon any who are with you in the house, we shall bear responsibility for their death. But if you tell this business of ours, then we shall be released from this oath that you made us swear to you. She said, according to your words, so be it. So she sent them away and they departed and she tied the crimson cord in the window. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We have a a running joke in the office. Jeff, our senior pastor and primary preacher, says that every time an associate pastor stands up here to preach, they always start the sermon with, oh, Jeff gave me the hardest passage to preach. I don't know why Jeff is making me preach on this passage. It's too difficult. To be fair, Jeff himself, when we did the Revelation sermon series, even Jeff himself walked around the office saying, oh, why did I give myself this passage? It's so hard. (laughs) It's true. So this week, as Jeff and I were discussing my sermon, he came into my office and said, are you going to complain about how hard this passage is? My immediate response was, absolutely not. I think Rahab is such a rock star, and I was pumped to be assigned to this scripture for today. It's an amazing story about how God uses an unexpected person to completely impact the landscape of the Israelite people. I really believed this sermon was going to be super easy. (laughs) And on one hand, it really is. Rahab is everything an exciting sermon needs. It's a subversive, cunning non-believer that has a powerful, dramatic declaration of faith. But on the other hand, and I'm not complaining, I think that there's a harder message in this story that really confronts us, if we're really honest with ourselves. Certainly, we'll celebrate God's hero in this passage, but if we're really paying attention, this story is going to call us to examine ourselves in some really difficult ways. I wonder, as we work our way through this passage, if you will agree with that as well. Let's look at the story. Rahab lives in Jericho. Jericho is a large Canaanite city. He's known for pagan worship and, quite frankly, all things not Israelite, God-pleasing. The other thing is it's directly in the path of the Israelites who've just crossed over the Jordan River. They're, they're on their way to take claim of Canaan, and they can't do that unless they conquer Jericho first. Therefore, before proceeding into battle, Joshua, in a strategic military move, sends two spies in to check things out, figure out the lay of the land, put together a strategy. Scripture tells us Rahab is a prostitute. If you are sitting with someone that you're going to have to define that to, I'm very sorry and I don't know what to tell you. (laughs) If it helps, I did find this one interesting little fact that the Hebrew word right there to describe Rahab is zona. And Professor Professor Anthony Frendo does point out that the consonants that make up that word, 
for prostitute in Hebrew, are identical to the consonants that make up the word for a female who provides food and provisions, an innkeeper. Even the Jewish historian Josephus said, wrote that Rahab was an innkeeper, so if that's helpful for your family, you're welcome. Maybe, however, Rahab is both a harlot and a hotel owner. We don't know, I guess. Either way, this is what the Bible does say. Rahab's a prostitute. Rahab's a Gentile. Rahab lives in the enemy city. As we enter this passage and meet Rahab for the first time, there is nothing about her that would have aligned her with God's people. As far as the invading Israelites would have been concerned, Rahab would have been completely disposable. So these two Israelite guys come knocking on her door one night, and they stay. Why they stay, the text doesn't exactly tell us. Some commentators want to make the case that because there are strangers coming and going from Rahab's house all the hours, it would have been easy for people to go unnoticed or undercover at a place like Rahab's. But I think if we're going to be really honest about the text, there is a significant possibility that they stayed there for their own personal reasons. They'd been in the desert a long time, and I can only imagine a place like Rahab's would have been tempting. We don't know, I guess, but we do know that they stayed. It does turn out, by the way, that they weren't quite so good at being undercover because the Jericho king finds out immediately that they're there. He sends soldiers to lock up these two Israelite spies and honestly, probably Rahab as well. Certainly, the king is going to do whatever he can to avoid the imminent invasion of the Israelites. So the soldiers knock on the door, and Rahab says, Oh, yes, yes, they were here. You just missed them. If you run now, you can surely catch up with them. The soldiers go quickly, not asking any more questions or looking around, because certainly, had they looked around, they would have noticed two piles of flax shaped like spies. As soon as the soldiers leave the city, the gates to the city close for the night. Rahab and her stowaways are safe until the morning. And this is my favorite part of the whole story. Because now, now, the soldiers are locked out of the city for the night, but these spies are locked in the city. And this time, we know for a fact that Rahab knows exactly who they are and why they are there. You know, this is my favorite part because of all of the players in this story, right? You have Rahab. I mean, you have the king. You have the soldiers. You have the spies. Of all the people in the story, Rahab, this Gentile, this woman, Rahab is in the position of power possibly for the first time in her entire life, Rahab is the one who gets to determine what happens next. She could make her demands, and if they don't give her what she wants, she could turn them over to the king. Rahab gets to decide what happens. And at this point in the story, there's really no reason for us to trust Rahab. 
What we know is that she's a foreigner to the people of God. She's a harlot. She most definitely worships pagan gods. She is certainly not an upstanding citizen that can be trusted with such an important task as carrying out God's work. Except, except that's exactly what she does. And what's so interesting to me is that if you fast forward and you go to the New Testament, the book of Hebrews, which is written a good 600 years after the book of Joshua, if you go to the book of Hebrews, they're still talking about Rahab. Hebrews tells us that by faith, the pros- Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had received the spies in peace. And if you flip over to the book of James in the New Testament, James tells us Rahab, the prostitute, was justified by works when she welcomed the messengers and sent them by another road. Rahab could have undone the Israelites, but she did not. Scripture wants us to know that her radical act of faithfulness was her kindness and her hospitality that that act of faith alone was so impactful that it, it was talked about, it lasted throughout the entire history of God's people. It was her kindness and her hospitality, even to those who could have destroyed her. Several years ago, there's a man named Steve Stone who's the pastor at Heartsong Church in Memphis, Tennessee. Steve read one morning that there was a Muslim community who had bought a large piece of property right across the street from his church. There were several members of his church that were not happy about this situation and called Steve and demanded that he do something about it. He said he spent some time praying and decided that yes, he was going to do something about it. And that week he put up a banner that said, Heart Song Church welcomes Memphis Islamic Center to the neighborhood. It turned out that the Islamic Center building was not going to be open in time for Ramadan. So Steve invited them to worship at the Heart Song Church. So for the entire month of Ramadan, the Islamic Community Center held their worship there in the Heart Song Church. The church members who had been so upset began to get to know their neighbors. Turns out they liked them. They did mission projects together, blood drives, spring picnics. Lives were changed. The landscape was impacted because of the kindness and hospitality that Steve and eventually all the members of Heartsong showed to their neighbors. Kindness and hospitality. After the soldiers left, Rahab does sneak back up to talk to the spies. And here she confesses faith. She proclaims the Lord God is indeed God in heaven above and on earth below. This pagan worshiping harlot does proclaim the Lord God in this crazy turn of events. But what's so fascinating to me is that is not the act of faith that's celebrated throughout the generations. Scripture is clear. Her proclamation of faith is important. Don't get me wrong. It's critical. But what's celebrated for generation after generation was her peaceful hospitality. That's what made her extraordinary. 
Because of her great act of kindness and hospitality to the men who were planning to destroy her home, the men gave her a crimson rope to identify her house so that her family would be saved when the Israelite army moves in. And because Rahab was spared, she became the mother of a man named Boaz who marries a woman named Ruth. And on and on the lineage goes until we come to a man named Joseph who marries a woman named Mary who gives birth to Jesus. Rahab's act of hospitality and kindness went so far that it puts her in the very family of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Matter of fact, if you go to the first chapter of the book of Matthew, you will see Rahab is one of only three women who are mentioned in that long genealogy. Rahab was certainly an unlikely hero, but she demonstrated such great faith that she became one of the most important women in all of Scripture. So yes, I was extremely pumped to get to spend this week with Rahab. A story about unlikely people that God chooses to be heroes of faith. An assuring statement to those of us who feel unworthy and unusable. A story of radical hospitality and the impact it makes when we are willing to demonstrate peace and love, even to those who have the power to destroy us. But I cannot leave this story without acknowledging the part of the passage that continued to confront me the whole time. This is the part that's hard for me. The spies. The thing is, the spies were obviously successful at their jobs because they were chosen to go and do this important thing. They clearly had attended all the staff meetings. They'd gone to worship at least once a month or at least turned it on while they ate dinner on Sunday night. They dressed the part. They used the official words that they were supposed to use. They demonstrated that they were upstanding and capable for the job. They worked the system so well that they had been chosen to be the association president or the project manager or the COO of Recon. But here's the thing. These spies who had been camping out in the desert for years and years, they find themselves chosen to go into the city. They find themselves in this special position. They decide that their first stop in town is to satisfy their own desires. The spies choose to take advantage of their position and think only of themselves. And when they do this, they put their own selves, their mission, their community, their people, and honestly, even Rahab, they put everyone at risk. They demonstrate the opposite of the generous hospitality that Rahab shows. <laughs> Y'all, these are the people who are supposed to be representing the people of God. The people who represent the people of God are oriented around their own selves and their own desires. These two people who are supposed to represent the faithful community stand in stark contrast to Rahab, the harlot whose faith is celebrated for generations. So yeah, this passage is hard. And I think it calls us, as a faithful people, this text calls us to stop and examine who we are as a church. 
Certainly, this week, I asked myself, I wonder if I do that. I wonder if I'm honest enough with myself to really acknowledge that like the spies, I'm willing to take advantage of my position to choose things that are not generous and not hospitable. How often does my own quest to protect my status hurt the people around me? How often does my lack of attention to the community around me cause hardship and heartache? How often do I decide that my desires are more important to that which I have been called to do? How many people have been disappointed because I was paying attention to what I wanted? And if I am really honest, I'm a lot more like the spies than I'd like to be and less like Rahab than I should be. As a family of faith, as the people of God, this text calls us to be examining what we're doing, how we're thinking, how we're paying attention, and who we are thinking about. But there's still good news in this passage, even for the spies. Because the good news of the passage is this, that through God's inclusive grace, God saves Rahab. And through God's covenant promises, God saves the spies too. The good news of this passage is that we are not intended to be overtaken. When we feel unusable, God intends more. When we feel left out and rejected, God intends more. When we feel unsafe, God intends more. When we are consumed by our own desires and getting what we want, God intends more than that for us. This passage then calls us to do the hard work the hard work of practicing gracious hospitality, the hard work of considering others, the hard work of not being taken by our own desires. But to remember that no matter where we are, that we, like Rahab, and we, like the spies, we are called to look to God, the Lord Almighty, to receive God's grace and to know God's covenant promises and to claim, like Rahab, that indeed he is Lord in heaven and on earth below. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Holy God, indeed we give you thanks. We give you thanks for you are gracious and you are faithful in your promises. And so God, I pray that you would help us to be bold and faithful and humble that we would go where you call us, that we would act how you ask us, and that we would constantly in all things be proclaiming you as Lord. In your holy name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to the RPC Sermons Podcast. Please let us know you're here by visiting roswellpress.org and signing our digital friendship register. May the grace and love of God be with you today and throughout the rest of your week. Thanks for listening.